Hello, and welcome to our podcast, What Makes Them Tip? Innovations that changed everything, where we hear from business leaders and entrepreneurs about the moment, insight, or inspiration that made everything possible, and ultimately push them over the tipping point. I'm Mike Strada, founder and CEO of Arcalea, where we inspire business change by introducing data science, formal analytics, and provide implementation for marketing. Moneyball for growth-oriented businesses, we say success is now a science. Stay with us, and at the end of the show, we'll share how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in the industry. And with that, let's get started. and welcome to What Makes Them Tip, Innovations That Changed Everything. I'm Jeff, and once again, I have the privilege of talking to amazing people doing amazing things and truly innovating in their particular entrepreneurial space, and we get to hear their stories. Now, today's guest is a consultant, keynote speaker, podcast host, and expert in secure software development and cybersecurity, author of the book Hackable, How to Do Application Security Right, and executive partner at Independent Security Evaluators. Please welcome Ted Harrington. Welcome to the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Excited now, to be here. I, I'm excited too. I'm very excited about this topic. This is something that's kind of uh, near and dear to my heart. My my day job is for is with a software company and they are always trying to drill this kind of stuff into us. So uh, to be able to talk to you a little bit about it and, and get into the the nitty gritty would is is exciting to me. So I'm looking forward to it. But tell us a little bit about uh independent security evaluators. What do you guys do there? Well, we're we're the good guy hackers. Uh, companies come to us when they want to understand how their particular software system might be attacked and then help them you know, find those issues, understand how severe those issues are, uh, and then advise them on how to fix them. And then ultimately be able to prove that they did fix it. So when they need to turn around and you know prove to their customer or to an investor or whoever that uh, their system has you know really done the appropriate things for security, that's ultimately what we help people do. So yeah, good guy hackers. That's awesome. And so you guys have been there uh, almost ten years now. I noticed. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you got started doing this. Like, what was your background before starting this business? So. We're, we've actually been doing it quite a bit longer than that. We're almost 10 years in the second iteration of the okay. company. So the company actually first uh, was founded in 2005 out of the PhD program at Johns Hopkins. And it was founded literally out of a piece of security research. Um, uh, my now business partner and a few of his colleagues in the program uh, at Hopkins at the time, they wanted to challenge this widely held claim at the time that this particular capability that existed in the ignition sequence in cars, um, this thing was considered to be literally unhackable, right? That word was was commonly used. And they're like, ah, challenge accepted. All right, we'll, <laughs> we'll go take a look at that. And so they went out and they, they studied this, uh, this protocol basically, and they found that in fact, they could actually defeat it. And it's supposed to prevent someone from being able to start a car without the authentic key. And they found they could do exactly that. Oh, wow. So they started a car without the authentic key using this, you know, really badass weaponized software radio. And that really launched the company because what followed was uh, there was a lot of media and a lot of press around that. People weren't, weren't really publishing research like that at the time. And even today, that would be a pretty cool story, you know, many, mm -hmm. many years later. And 
as a result of that media, then companies came calling and saying like, hey, you guys understand how hackers break things. Can you, can you help us? And that was essentially the premise of the company was, yeah, let's like hack stuff and get paid and uh, not go to jail. <laughs> that was yeah. like the core idea. Uh, and then, so that was the first iteration of the company. And that was maybe, uh, it was probably like six-ish years. And uh, at that point, then it made sense for the founding team to sort of go their own directions. And that's when I um, you know, joined to help essentially reboot and start the second version of the company where we call ourselves ISC 2.0 right now. Mm-hmm. But the underlying premise is the same, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, make systems better, find the issues before the bad guys do. And so it's been a really, really cool ride. I mean, along the way, we've hacked everything from medical devices to phones to password managers, cryptocurrency wallets, all, all kinds of cool stuff. So that's our mission is to just ultimately make security better. Yeah. And I think that's what I find so interesting about this is everyone assumes, well, my computers are what are, you know, I have a bunch of computers in my office uh, and that's what's vulnerable. But there's so many things now that are everything is connected in the Internet of Things like you you can people are getting into print, getting in through printers, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Like what can what things can people do that are beyond just you get, you know, getting into your computer? Well, in a way, everything's a computer now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like software runs the world. You know this. You, mm-hmm. work, you work at a software company. Software runs the world. And so in that sense, everything that we do is uh, potentially susceptible to attack. Now, that's not to say, the, you know, the sky is falling and everyone should just run for the hills. But because we rely on computer systems for pretty much everything, the reality is that we're exposed to attack in new ways. I mean, people probably remember just a couple of weeks ago, this crazy gas shortage mm. and people were hoarding gas and prices were through the roof. Well, that was the result of the gas pipeline itself being under attack. Wow. And so that's just, I think, a really vivid and really visceral example for people of where uh, our daily lives are so intertwined with software. And that's why a profession like uh, those of us in security really matters because ultimately it's it's almost like if we can even think of it as grand as society itself mm-hmm. relies on us. So that, that to me is really uh, fulfilling to be able to work on problems like that. Well, how did you decide on a profession like this? Like, what were you doing? What kind of school did you go to? When did you first kind of become interested in, in hacking for the good guys? Well, I came from the entrepreneurial path and that's, maybe a little different for a lot of people in security. I mean, there obviously are tons of entrepreneurs. I didn't mean to say there are not, but it there's this sort of prevailing belief that everyone who's in ethical hacking, which is the world that I come from now is, you know, was hacking computers when they're like four. Mm-hmm. And many of the people that I know were in fact that, um, I don't, <laughs> I was not that I had, uh, I, I went to school in Washington, DC and I started a company while I was there that wasn't in tech. And I found that I didn't really like what that company was. It did it for a few years. Uh, it was profitable. It was like what you would want as a college student. Like you run your own company, making money, no expenses. It's like perfect. But I, did, I really didn't like what we were doing. And because we were we were serving consumers, like individuals as opposed to businesses. And I realized the individual consumer is really stupid and it's really <laughs> hard to deal with. And no offense meant to any of the listeners who are in business to consumer, but it wasn't for me. And I wanted to deal with uh, the 
more rational decision-making that businesses make are completely irrational too, but at least it's not emotional, sure. right? Sure. You're like, oh, we'll, we'll go with the worst version because it's cheaper. It's like, well, that's okay. Um, <laughs> but at least it's not an emotional one. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I, after I graduated, I decided to join a company where I could get some mentorship because I wanted to really understand entrepreneurship better. And so I wound up joining a company where the founder of that company didn't want to be in the operation of the business anymore. He just wanted to like, coach and mentor. And I'm like, yep. I want to, you know, be under your tutelage. So I did that for a few years and then became the CEO of this company that had this tech that saved water. And, uh, it was, it was about water conservation. And I thought that was a worthwhile cause, but I also found out that the world wasn't quite ready to really care about that, to care, Mm. even though everyone's like, yeah, green, but they don't, they don't want to pay for it. Mm. And then in that sort of process, I got introduced to uh, the guy who, became my now business partner. And that was when I realized when I, when he and I first met, we first started talking about security and, you know, I always wanted to be in tech, but I wasn't, I, I wouldn't say that security was necessarily on my radar, but when we started talking about what the profession was, I realized that all of the things that matter to me that I, that I wanted to do in my life are reflected in security. Like my principles are, I've identified four of them. I know I'll identify more as my life goes on, but um, to I'm driven to do hard things, do things that matter, do things in the service of others and get better every day. Mm. And those four traits really define the profession of security. And so when I, when I heard about the opportunity to do this, I was like, oh my God, this is, it's like this career is created for me. Mm. And uh, I, I made the jump and I really haven't looked back. It's been amazing. So tell me a little bit about how you guys kind of set yourselves apart, how you've innovated to kind of um, be unique in your industry. Are there others out there doing the same kind of thing as you? What's kind of the history of that? Well, going back to when the company started, you know, all those years ago, back in 2005, it, it this as a service truly was innovative in its own way because people weren't really doing this. And uh, there may have been other companies out there, but it was, if they existed, it was, you know, super, super, super rare. You fast forward to today, the market has really realized, Hey, there's an enormous opportunity here. As we were talking about before software runs the world. So there's a need for this type of security testing, which is what, you know, what we do. And so the market has really become flooded, but it's been become flooded with what I think are not the not the ideal approach. And it's, it's approaches that really rely heavily on automation, on using tools. And those have a, have a place for sure. I mean, we use tools in the process of our work too, but too much testing is focused on just using tools. Like it doesn't go deep enough and doesn't focus on where the real important issues are, which is where we focus is how do you, how do you get deeper into the system? How do you uh, look at things more manually. And how do you look at, for example, how you can take you know, one vulnerability and another vulnerability and chain them together to create this you know, catastrophic outcome? And that is really, really important and, and unique in a lot of ways. There, there are other companies like ours who do that more manual approach, but A, there's not that many. Mm. And then B, there's so much demand for this type of uh, just this need that we don't even really bump into those other companies very much. And if you then if you took other companies who are similar to ours and you compare them side by side, then it gets down to things like, well, we use this type of methodology and they use that type of methodology. We have published this type of research. They've published that type of research. We focus on application security. 
Um, but really the that's actually not what's happening in the marketplace. People, the the real decision that people are making, unfortunately, is should I do the cheap, easy, ineffective way, or should I do it the right way, knowing that it's more expensive? Yeah. Do you, do you find that some businesses may I, I I I hear this excuse from individuals a lot that I'm just I'm not important or enough or rich enough that anybody's going to try to hack me. Is that a, is that a kind of a ridiculous way to approach it? Yeah. I understand why people would think that mm-hmm. uh, they're like, Oh, I'm not a Paul. I'm not the president. You know, I'm not whatever. But the, the fact is that is an incorrect way to think about it. Uh, and I can give you an example. So a few years ago, there was this attack that was called the Mirai botnet. And essentially what the Mirai botnet was, uh, well, let me describe what a botnet is. A botnet is where an attacker actually takes over a large number of internet connected devices and then uses those devices in, if you can imagine, almost like a zombie army to deploy, you know, take all that computational power of this huge collection of victim uh, victimized devices and, you know, use all that in an attack. And so what happened in the Mirai botnet was there were these very cheap surveillance cameras that are used in mom and pop retail type stores. And the, this was the perfect example where it's like the mom and pop store is like, well, I'm, I'm, I sell whatever. I sell cookies. I don't care. Like I need a surveillance. I don't want someone to steal my cash register, but I don't, I don't care about the cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the manufacturer of those devices was basically saying, well, these are cheap little things. So like we shouldn't care about security. It's so, like nobody really cared about security of these devices. And everybody definitely had that mentality of like, well, it's like this little mom and pop store with this little cheap surveillance camera. So who cares? But here's why we should care. Because what an attacker group did was because these devices were so easy to compromise, uh, the attacker actually took over a lot of them. Like it was somewhere around 100,000 of them. And then took this, this zombie army of these cameras and used the computational power that came from this enormous collection of victim devices and pointed all this traffic at this company that no one's ever heard of before, but that is basically the backbone of the internet. Mm. And what wound up happening was this huge influx of traffic made that backbone of the internet service unusable. So what wound up happening is that it was for about maybe three or four hours one day up and down the East Coast of the United States, the internet was unusable. Mm. Now, now think about how many things rely on the internet. Mm-hmm. I mean, that it like shut down the economy for like four hours. And that's a really great example where someone's like, I'm just a small store that sells, you know, kids clothing. Who cares? Like, why would I care about this device? Well, here's why. Because now the, like, the mm-hmm. economy is going to stop for hours at a time. And so, uh, yes, that is, that's an inappropriate way for people to think about it, but it's, it's also, what can they do about it? That's, that's a different question too. So, yeah. yeah. What do you think is one of the most, I guess, obvious and, uh, but easily exploitable things that companies are doing right now that maybe they should go and and take a look at? Well, people are definitely the weakest link. Uh, that's that's sort of a truism uh, across all security. But when I think about what are companies, like where are they most exposed, it's it all comes down to how we think. And this is one of the things I think that's super, super fascinating to me about security is it's this, uh, well, tech in general is this highly technical, 
highly complex, very scientific field, but all of the problems in it stem from humans. It stems from the way that we think, and it stems from these really bad assumptions that we make. And I come across these terrible assumptions all the time. Like, for example, people will will say things to me, things like, oh, well, no one would think to do that. Like, this is an actual thing people will say to me. No one would think to do that. And they'll literally be saying that in response to me saying, what if an attacker did blank? And they're like, Mm -hmm. oh, no, no one would think to do that. And I'm like, I just did. Like, we (laughs) just asked you about it. And and you know people who can do it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if I thought of it, you know, other people are going to think of it too. And that's just, you know, one kind of silly example, but a very mm-hmm. real example of where the way that we think determines what we achieve. And this holds companies back all the time where they think, um, well, I can do it. I can do it cheaper or our security is more of like, that's IT's problem. That's not a leadership problem. No, it's a mm-hmm. leadership problem. Or they think no one would do that. Or they think, um, well, you know, we, we pay for this like little thing over here and that totally keeps us safe. Or we just tell people we take security seriously and that somehow solves the problem. And so th- there's a lot of, uh, really the, the mindset is I think the biggest challenge, but that's kind of hard as a security professional, you know, when they're saying like, can you come, you know, hack our thing? It's like, let's first talk about how you think <laughs> they're like, <Yeah>. what? <laughs> Well, I, I mean, what do they call it? Like social hacking and social en- engineering that's going on now where people use phishing or, you know, gathering in- information from people that they could use to exploit companies. That's going on a lot now, right? Yeah. And social engineering is the practice of tricking a human into doing something that they shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And uh, it goes everywhere from, you know, b- benign examples like, um, I don't know about you, but I don't like waiting in line for when I go to a bar. And so I usually social engineer, engineer my way in. I'm like, I'm going to go in the VIP line. I don't want to wait in that regular line. You know, that's like a totally benign way. It's a very, very, very malicious things. Like there's a, there's a story that happened a few years ago where uh, there's a sideline reporter who is, um, whose name is Aaron Andrews and she had this stalker mm. and the stalker knew that she was staying at some particular hotel and he wanted to get the room next to hers, but he knew they would never like give him her number. But he went to the hotel, went to a house phone, picked up the house phone, connected to the front desk and asked to be connected to her room. And when it did, it showed up on the LE, the little screen there, what room was being connected to. And then he went up to the front desk and asked to be checked into the room right next to hers, which they gave. Uh, and then he was able to, he like poked a hole through the wall and spied on her and stuff. And so these are examples where like people get tricked all the time when, mm. when they shouldn't be. And so it, it is a really, really significant problem because as humans, we're sort of wired to trust other people and attackers know that and take advantage of it. Yeah. So you've written a book, Hackable. Tell us a little bit about the book and, uh, and what prompted you to do that. Yeah. So I wrote this book because two things came together. Um, The first was that I felt like I kept having the same conversations over and over and over again. Um, Because as, as my, in my life here as this leader of ethical hackers, you know, running this consulting company, I'm talking to companies all the time, whether they're our current customers or maybe prospective customers, or I'm speaking to people after I deliver a keynote or whatever. And it, it struck me that everyone has these same 10 or so problems. Now they don't necessarily all have this. They don't necessarily all have all 10, Mm -hmm. but they all have some of the 10. 
And they might not call them by the same names, but I just, I noticed that it was the same thing over and over again. And it, it was irrespective of uh, how large the company was, where it was located, what industry it was in, how sophisticated they were, how much they spent on security. It's like, everyone has these same challenges. And I thought that was interesting. And then I started thinking about, okay, well, if these, these problems everyone seems to have, um, how do we solve these problems? And that was really the lightning bolt that said, okay, you, you have to write a book because I realized that the conventional solutions, the way that everybody talks about solving these common problems were pretty much wrong. Mm. And, so, and like, think about that, right? That's, you've got someone who is trying to solve something through technology. They're like, here's a problem. I'm going to build some tech and solve it through tech. Then they realize security is an important part of that. Then they realize they have some, some problems to be able to achieve their security mission. So they go try to get the answer to those problems and the answer is wrong. I'm like, wait, that can't, I, I know how to solve that problem. I can't allow that to stand around anymore. And so I sat down, I wrote the book and it basically walks anyone who is responsible for uh, building a software system and, and needs to do so securely. It walks you through how to think about it, how to approach it. What does security testing even entail? How do you deal with all the issues that you're going to find? How do you prioritize them? How, how much should you budget? How do you think about your own in-house teams versus external teams? Um, how do you build a threat model? What even is that? And then ultimately, mm. how do you convert this into a business benefit, which is, as I argue, uh, it, it gives you a competitive advantage because the buyer wants to buy secure solutions. And if you can prove it when most people can't, that's hugely differentiating. And so ultimately that helps you, you know, close more sales or close them faster. And so that's essentially what the book does. It's the same advice that I give all our customers or anybody who will listen to me. And it's very practical and actionable, but it's also filled with, you know, fun stories because the stuff we see in ethical hacking is kind of nuts. So I made sure to weave all those in. Yeah, that sounds going to be super helpful. Where can people find it? It's available on Amazon or anywhere that you would buy books. Um, also at my website, all the information's there, tedharrington.com. Yeah. And you also have a podcast, right? I do. Yes. I have a podcast called Tech Done Different and it applies. I mean, I'm a security guy, obviously. So I like having security conversations, but what I really wanted to do with the show was be bigger than security. And I wanted to learn from uh, leaders in tech or leaders in security I wanted to both learn from them and I wanted to serve them about how do we go against conventional wisdom? Hmm. Uh, that's certainly what my book does. That's what ethical hacking is all about. And I wanted to show that that really highlights that like, oh, here's a leader who thought that the way that when businesses do X, Y, and Z, well, if instead it was Z, Y, and X, hey, all of a sudden you've got this amazing way to solve that problem differently. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, so your website again, so people know how to find you. Yeah, my, it's tedharrington.com. So if any of these, anything we talked about today triggers ideas or you want to follow me on social media, learn more about my book, or you want to reach out and you need help with your security testing, you know, it's all there, tedharrington.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on the show today, man. I really appreciate it. And there's a lot of great information there. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to another episode of What Makes Them Tip, Innovations That Changed Everything. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to our show, What Makes Them Tip, Innovations That Changed Everything. If you're an entrepreneurial leader and you'd like to share the inspiration that changed everything in your business or venture, please visit arcalea.com slash guest and a small request. If you've liked this interview, 
please help us out by sharing this episode with a friend or on social with the hashtag Archelia. You can also help us out right now by providing a review in your podcast player and a thumbs up or rating review would help a ton. We promise to read every word and it helps us improve a little bit each day. And while you're at it, please also subscribe because every week you're going to be inspired and learn from other leaders in bite-sized increments. Again, my name is Mike Strada. Let's connect either on social or stay up to date on all things business at Arcalea.com. Thanks again for listening and thank you for being part of the over 99% of America's firms that make up the entrepreneurial community. Until next time.